This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Appalachia. Appalachia is a very distinct word, and everybody has their own opinion of what it represents. Moreover, though, whether it's right or wrong, it stirs up images of everything from indescribable mountaintop beauty, deep forest, and cabins in the wood to trailer parks, meth heads, extreme prejudice, and xenophobia. The fact that one word can bring up such a huge response is an owed to its far-reaching influence in society. The Appalachian Mountains are the oldest mountains in the world. They once towered 30,000 feet into the air and currently stretch from Canada through 14 states all the way to Louisiana. The inhabitants of these mountains through the many years of their existence have lived through and witnessed what can only be described as horrendous, demeaning, and even downright unbelievable history as we are now learning every day is not exactly what we've been told and what was once thought to be nothing more than fairy tale is now coming to light as truth. I often hear references to the movie Deliverance or people making funny banjo sounds when describing the Appalachians. I, being born and raised in these mountains, know that nothing in fact could be more wrong or, in some cases, more right. The history that lies in these mountains is rich and has been around longer than any place in the United States. In fact, far longer than the United States itself. We'll look into these mountains and learn about the good, the bad, and the ugly history that lies within them to this very day. Hello, I'm Larry Bentley, and this is Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. Welcome back, my good friends. Today we're going to take a look at what took place in a small town in southwest Virginia on March 13, 1912. Carroll County, Virginia was established in 1842 from part of Grayson County and was officially named in honor of Charles Carroll, the signer of the Declaration of Independence. The borders of Carroll County were later expanded by including land from Patrick County. Carroll County is located within the Blue Ridge Mountain Range of the Appalachian Mountains, and roughly a fifth of the county lies in the Virginia Piedmont region, with the rest being part of the Appalachian Mountains. The Blue Ridge Parkway runs through Carroll County nine miles to the south of a town called Hillsville. Hillsville sets where U.S. Routes 52 and 221 intersect right in the center of town, while U.S. Route 58 bypasses the town to the south. Just to give you a picture of where it is, U.S. 52 leads northwest 28 miles to Whiffle, and that's in Virginia, and south 22 miles to Mount Airy, North Carolina. So truly, we're in the heart of the Appalachian Mountains when in Hillsville. 
with that being said, I suppose the best place to start with all this would be as usual at the beginning. Floyd Allen was born in 1856 and spent much of his life in Cana, Virginia, located below Fancy Gap Mountain in Carroll County, right on the Virginia-North Carolina line. He was the patriarch of the county's most prominent family, which in addition to owning large tracts of farmland and prosperous general store, were also active in local politics as proud Southern Democrats. Both Allen and his brother Sidna held legal licenses for production of alcohol. Floyd was noted for his generosity, but also his quick temper and easily injured pride. He had a history of violent altercations, including shooting a man in North Carolina, beating a police officer in Mount Airy, and later shooting his own cousin. In May of 1889, Floyd's brothers Garland and Sidney Allen were tried for carrying concealed pistols and assaulting a group of 13 men. In July of 1889, the Carroll County Court indicted Floyd for assault as well, but in December of that year, Commonwealth attorney, and without explanation, dropped the case. In September of 1889, after pleading no contest to the assault, Garland and Sidna were fined $5 plus court costs, and the prosecutor dropped the weapons charges. In 1904, Floyd had wanted to buy a farm owned by one of his brothers, but couldn't agree on a price with him. Noah Combs, Floyd's neighbor, wanted the land badly enough to pay the asking price and bought it despite Floyd's repeated warnings not to butt into his business. Not long after that, Floyd shot and wounded Mr. Combs and was indicted and tried on charges of assault. Floyd was convicted of assaulting his neighbor and was sentenced by the jury to an hour in jail and a $100 fine plus court costs. Floyd immediately posted bail pending an appeal. His defense team included former Commonwealth's attorney, Walter Tipton, and a retired county court judge, Oglesby. At the next term of the court, Floyd produced an order of clemency from Governor Andrew J. Montag, suspending the jail sentence. In another instance, while arguing over an administration of their father's estate, Floyd got into a gunfight with his own brother, Jasper, known as Jack, who was a local constable. During a barrage of shots, Floyd's shot grazed Jack in the head while one of Jack's bullets hit Floyd in the chest. With his pistol now empty, Floyd ran over and beat Jack with the butt of his gun until he was unconscious. Sentenced to a $100 fine and one hour in jail for wounding Jack, Floyd refused to go, saying that he would never spend a minute in jail as long as the blood flowed through his veins. Walked out of court, and that was that. Floyd's body bore the scars of 13 bullet wounds, five of them inflicted by his own family. Despite their history of violence, the Allens held considerable po political power, and Floyd had a reputation for courage. In 1908, he, while serving as special deputies, Floyd and his relative, Henry, who was known as H.C. Allen, were charged with unlawful assault on prisoners held in their custody, who Floyd claimed resisted arrest. On February 1st, 1908, the 
Allens were convicted of the charge of sentenced and sentenced to 10 days in jail and a fine of $10. Only a month later, their petition for executive clemency was granted by then-Governor Claude Swanson, even restoring their political rights to hold office. In 1910, Sidney Allen was tried in the United States Court at Greensboro, North Carolina for making $20 counterfeit pieces. The federal court in Greensboro found him not guilty, while Sidney's alleged accomplice, Preston Dickens, was found guilty and sentenced to serve five years in federal prison. Sidney was then tried and found guilty of perjury in his trial testimony and was sentenced to two years in prison. Sidney promptly appealed and won a new trial on the perjury charge. The next year, after the Allens complained that they couldn't get justice from William Foster, the Republican Commonwealth attorney for the county, who, by the way, had just switched to the Republican Party, Judge Thornton L. Massey appointed both Floyd and H.C. as police officers for the New River section of the county. But times were changing. Virginia's judicial structure was altered in a series of legal reforms, particularly the county court system, which was replaced by circuit courts. The new system appointed a full-time judge to hold court at scheduled intervals in a circuit of several counties, while the state legislature still appointed circuit judges. The new system reduced the ability of individual delegates to ensure that their preferred judge was selected for their particular county. And that wasn't all. Judges could no longer practice law for private clients while on the bench, and as regional judges, their susceptibility to local influence and public opinion was pretty much wiped out. So as we can see by now, Floyd Allen was pretty used to having things his own way about everything he wanted. And so it was with an incident that would become the final straw for Floyd and the Allen family. What started the whole thing to cooking happened one night in December 1910 when two of Floyd Allen's nephews, Wesley and Sidney Edwards, attended a corn shucking bee in Hillsville. I know you're wondering what a corn shucking bee is. Well, that takes place when one of the community harvests his corn and the corn needs to be shucked. Many neighbors from all around show up to help the family shuck their corn on the promise of the reward of a fine home-cooked supper once they're done. The men would go to the barn and commence the shucking while the women folk would prepare the meal inside. Another reason to have a corn shucking bee was that the neighbors could get together and update each other on the latest gossip. The men in the barn would also talk a little trash about who was the fastest corn shucker in those parts, and they would have contests to see who could carry that title home. All the while the shucking was going on, the men would keep their eyes peeled for that coveted red ear. Now, the red ear was nothing more than an ear of corn that had an anomaly of a few discolored kernels in it that were usually red in color. Reason being is that one, the one who found the red ear got to kiss the woman of his choice before supper. That night, Wesley Edwards got the red ear, so Wesley walked up and kissed a girl who was with her boyfriend, Will Thomas. From what I could gather, he did that just to get on young Mr. Thomas's nerves, and it worked. 
that led to an altercation between the two young men. Now, that altercation didn't happen right there. It happened the next day at a church service being conducted by, of all people, Wesley's uncle, Garland Allen, another one of Floyd's brothers. Young Mr. Thomas reportedly called Wesley outside to settle their differences in the form of an old-fashioned rip-snorting fight right there in the churchyard. According to Wesley, Thomas and three of his friends jumped on him, and he defended himself with the help of his brother Sidna, who rushed over and jumped right in the middle of the melee with a whittling knife. Wesley and Sidna were charged with disorderly conduct, assault with a deadly weapon, disturbing the public worship service, and several other violations. Once they heard that they were about to be arrested, they bolted for Mount Airy, North Carolina, where they found jobs in a granite quarry to lay low for a while. The deputy clerk of the court county, or Carroll County Court, Dexter Goad, obtained a new warrant for the brothers' arrest, notifying the sheriff in Surrey County, North Carolina, which is where Mount Airy is located. And he soon found them and arrested both men. Carroll County Deputy Sheriff Thomas Samuels and his Deputy Peter Easter traveled to the Easter's in Easter's four-seater buggy and to the state line to receive the brothers from Sheriff Hayes and Deputy Oscar Mundy, who had actually done the arresting of the brothers while they were at work. The deputy had one set of handcuffs, then, of course, Sidney Allen tried to, I mean, Sidney Edwards tried to escape a couple of times, so he was tied up in the back seat while Wesley was handcuffed in the front seat of the buggy. On the way to the courthouse, the buggy passed by several properties owned by the Allens. This trail is now U.S. Route 52. Floyd Allen, just like he always had, thought that he was in charge around those parts and met the buggies just south of Sidney Allen's home, which is a marvelous structure which still stands along U.S. 52 today. Deputy Samuels, knowing Floyd the way he did, immediately pulled his gun, which unbeknownst to Floyd at the time, was broken and wouldn't fire. He ordered Floyd to move away, and not being a stupid man, Floyd realized that the deputy had to drop on him, so he rode ahead of the buggy to Sidney's store, where he then blocked the narrow road with his mare. Deputy Samuels again pulled his gun on Floyd, who by then had been informed that the deputy's gun was worthless. Floyd took the deputy's pistol away from him and beat him senseless with his own broken pistol. Wesley Edwards tried to grapple with Deputy Easter, but Easter got away and fired a shot at Floyd as he did so and wounded Floyd in the finger, leaving Floyd now with 14 bullet wounds in his body. Floyd, now apparently impervious to bullet wounds, pretty much ignored the wound and then released the Edwards brothers. Easter ran to a friend's house and he called the sheriff back in Hillsville. Deputy Samuels was left laying unconscious and near death in a ditch, and his horses were run off just in case he awoke and got the idea to chase after the Allens. Floyd Allen later stated that he never intended to have the boys set free. He just wanted them to be released from the monocles. On the following Monday, Wesley and Sidney Edwards were turned over to the court by Floyd Allen, and the two Edwards brothers were soon tried and convicted of their crimes. Wesley was sentenced to 60 days and his brother to 30, which were served outside jail on work release. But that 
my good friends, was the spark that touched off the powder keg. The Commonwealth's attorney, William Foster, had served as Carroll County's prosecutor for eight years, having been first elected on the Democrat ticket. Later, Foster changed to the Republican Party and by 1912 was a prominent leader in the GOP in Carroll County, being elected the last time on the Republican ticket. Foster was a political enemy of the Allens who had supported Jack Allen's son, Walter, as a Democrat candidate for Commonwealth's attorney against Foster in the last election. Walter Allen had lost a bitterly fought race. Foster called upon a grand jury to investigate the escape and pistol-whipping incident. Floyd Allen agreed to testify and admitted roughing up Samuels, but denied intending to release the prisoners, saying that that their Samuels feller was abusing his boys and had had him handcuffed and tied up with a rope. I just can't bear to see anybody being dragged around like that. Nonetheless, the grand jury indicted Floyd Allen, Sedna Allen, and Barnett Allen for interfering with the deputies, and Floyd was also indicted for assaulting the battery upon Deputy Samuels. Sidney Allen was never tried for his part in the altercation while Barnett Allen was acquitted at trial. When Floyd Allen's case was set for trial, rumors arose that he had sent word to Deputy Samuels that he would kill him if he testified against him. Of course, Floyd denied this, but the reports of the threats caused Deputy Samuels to leave the state for parts unknown the same night that the rumors started. The rumor that the Allens were intimidating witnesses was called to the attention of the court, and Judge Thornell Massey called Constable Jack Allen and Floyd, who, by the way, had actually been deputized by Judge Massey about six months earlier, to the bar and proceeded to question him about the alleged intimidation. Jack Allen denied all responsibility for the allegations of intimidation, which he stated were untrue and insisted neither he nor his brother was guilty of any wrongdoing. In response to the, the judge told the men that if the law couldn't be faithfully enforced in Carroll County by the county's deputized officers, he would bring in state troopers if necessary to maintain order. A witness later testified that Floyd Allen remarked that he wouldn't about let any man talk to him that way. I'll be right back. You're listening to Appalachian Murder Mystery and Legend with Larry Bentley. Now, after close to a year of delays and legal wrangling, Floyd was finally brought to trial on March 13, 1912, with George Thornton L. Massey, who had been the one to deputize Floyd. He was presiding. Floyd was well represented by two attorney team, with Walter Scott Tipton and David Winton Bolin, who were both retired Carroll County judges in their own right. Deputy Samuels, having run off, forced Commonwealth's attorney William Foster to rely on testimony from Deputy Easter, and that's the way that the case went to the jury. The jury, however, couldn't agree on a verdict and told Judge Massey that, but he was having none of it and immediately sequestered them in a local hotel overnight so they could take up deliberations again the next morning. Now, being in fear of the Allen clan, as they were had become known, and having received death threats, many officials of the court armed themselves as they 
went to court the next morning. Many attribute the death threats to the Allen clan, but it must be noted here that there were a large number in the community who believed that the Allens were being railroaded out of nothing more than political spot. Those threats could have come from any number of people among the Allen supporters. At least two of the participants, Judge Massey and Sheriff Webb, had told friends that they expected trouble. Many of the Allen clan members were spectators in the courtroom, most of them also armed with pistols. Sedna Allen and Claude Allen stood on benches in the courtroom's northeast corner to see over the crowd. Friel Allen sat in the back of the courtroom and Edwards' boys stood on benches next to the north wall. When the jury returned a guilty verdict with a recommended sentence of one year in the penitentiary, witnesses said that Floyd Allen said to Judge Massey, if you sentence me on that verdict, I'll kill you. The threat had no effect on the judge whatsoever as he immediately sentenced Floyd Allen to one year's imprisonment without so much as batting his eye. According to Floyd Allen's own defense attorney, David Winton Bowling, Floyd hesitated a minute, and then he rose. The attorney continued that he looked like to me he a man who was about to say something and hadn't decided exactly what he was going to say. But as he got up, he moved off to my left, I would say five or six feet, and he seemed to gain his speech. And he said something like, I'll tell you this, I ain't a-going. At that point, all hell broke loose and shots began to ring out in the courtroom. Now, there was no way back in to determine who actually fired the first shot, and uh, that bit of information, I guess, has been lost to the years. Many witnesses claim that Floyd himself pulled a gun right there in the courtroom. In his defense testimony, Floyd stated that Sheriff Lou F. Webb fired first, but the shot missed him. At which point, Deputy Clerk Goad, a clerk of the court, fired and hit him, causing him to fall. When Floyd fell from a bullet to the hip, he landed on top of his lawyer, David Bolin, who had ducked in the ground under his table, and the shooting started. And, of course, being a typical lawyer, he said, Floyd, they're going to kill me trying to kill you. Floyd also stated that only then did he draw his own revolver and begin shooting. After the initial shots... The Allen clan left the courtroom, armed with pistols and 12-gauge pump shotguns, and were shooting as they ran. Floyd, of course, couldn't run. He was hobbling along from his 15th, 16th, and 17th bullet wounds, but nonetheless was able to get away. Judge Massey, Sheriff Webb, Commonwealth's Attorney Foster, and the jury foreman, who was my very own great-uncle, Augustus Cesar Fowler, were all hit and died of their wounds sustained in the crossfire. Elizabeth Ayers, a 19-year-old subpoenaed witness who had testified against Floyd, was shot in the back while trying to run from the courtroom and died at home the next day. Altogether, there were 57 shots fired in just under 90 seconds. That's nothing shy of a miracle that more people weren't killed. Seven others were wounded, including Deputy Clerk Goad, who was shot four times, including once in the mouth, and miraculously made a full recovery. Floyd was wounded too badly in the hip, thigh, and knee to leave town. He spent the night at the Elliott Hotel, accompanied with his eldest son, Victor, who was later acquitted of all involvement in the shootout. 
Upon his arrest by deputies at the hotel, Floyd attempted to slash his own throat with his pocket knife, but was overpowered before he could get the job done. Virginia law held that when a sheriff died, his deputies lost all legal powers, so the shooting left Carroll County without law enforcement, a law that has since been corrected, of course. Recognizing the need for immediate action, Assistant Clerk S. Floyd Landreth sent a telegram to Governor William Hodges' man, which read, Send troopers to the county of Carroll at once. Mob violence in the court. Commonwealth's attorney, sheriff, and jurors, um, others in the courtroom, have been shot during the conviction of Floyd Allen for a felony. Sheriff and Commonwealth's attorney dead. Court in serious trouble. Look after this now, please. Governor Mann immediately called on the Baldwin Feltz Detective Agency and to go out and find those responsible for the shooting and arrest them. The Commonwealth of Virginia posted rewards of $1,000 for Sidney Allen, $1,000 for Sidney Edwards, $800 for Claude Allen, $500 for Friel Allen, and $500 for Wesley Edwards. And folks, that was dead or alive. The shooting and the following manhunt made national headlines and remained there until another tragedy that you might have heard of knocked it from the top story. Uh, that story was the sinking of Titanic that dropped the Hillsville shootout to obscurity. Within a month, all of the suspected shooters were in custody except Sidney Allen and Wesley Edwards. During the initial manhunt, several posses of detectives and local deputies searched the surrounding countryside. Friel Allen gave himself to, up to detectives in the company of his father, Jack, who worried that some overzealous bounty hunter might just kill his son while he was apprehending him. Cousin Claude Allen and Sidney Edwards were also arrested after a brief search. The U.S. Revenue Service had sent Deputy Ad Agent Faddis to investigate reports of illegal liquor trafficking by the Allens. Agent Faddis and four men raided Floyd Allen's property, seizing illegal stills, 50 gallons of moonshine. Two more illegal stills were found at Sidney Edwards' house. While Floyd did have a license to produce alcohol, there were of course, I guess, were limits to the amount he could make. Apparently, 50 gallons was over that limit. However, Sidney Allen and his nephew, Wesley Edwards, unbeknownst to the detectives, had fled Virginia. After several months of chase, Baldwin Feltz detectives located him in Iowa after an informant's tip. Sidney Allen mentioned until the end of his life that this informant was mauled eye roller. Wesley's fiance, who provided information on the fugitive's location in exchange for $500 from the detective agency. Others state that Miss Roller's father, who had never approved of his daughter's romance with Wesley Edwards, tipped off the detectives and that Maud was going to Des Moines to marry him. Baldwin Felch detectives traveled to Des Moines, Iowa, arrested the suspects, and returned them to Carroll County to stand trial. Floyd Allen was the first to be brought to trial in a charge of murdering Judge Massey, Sheriff Webb, and Commonwealth's Attorney Foster. Judge W.R. Staples presided over the courthouse shooting trials, which were prosecuted by Assistant Attorney General Samuel W. Williams and involved Attorneys Draper, Landreth, Pogue, and Weiser. Oddly enough, no autopsies were ever performed on any of the dead as Rumors flew that the Allens hadn't killed anybody and that the 
dead were killed by their own incompetence with firearms. In other words, they missed the Allens, who they were shooting at, and shot each other instead. With 57 shots being fired so quickly in that little courtroom, you better believe that's most certainly a possibility. The prosecutor's case was based on the formation of a conspiracy by the Allens to kill the trial judge, local law enforcement, and others who had wronged him in the event of a guilty verdict. J.E. Kern, a traveling salesman from Roanoke, testified that he sold Sidney Allen a lot of ammunition on the March term of the Hillsville Court, especially 500 each of 32 caliber, 38 caliber pistol cartridges and 512-gauge shotgun rounds. The prosecution attempted to show that Floyd and Claude Allen attempted or prompted the gun battle by standing, pulling their pistols, and opening fire. Former Judge David Winton Bolin, who had represented Floyd during the shooting, was called as one of the or defense attorneys, was the first witness that the prosecution called in Floyd's murder trial. Floyd had been standing next to Floyd and was facing Judge Massey when the first shot struck the judge's robes. Bolin testified that Claude Allen fired the first shot and that Claude's Allen, his pistol, together with the second shot by Sidney Allen, killed Judge Massey. Another prosecution witness was Floyd's other attorney, Walter S. Tipton. Tipton testified he saw Claude Allen in the courthouse with a pistol raised in both hands as if he had just fired it. During a second glance, Tipton saw Floyd with his pistol raised and held in both hands. He then saw Floyd fire his pistol. Yet another lawyer who witnessed the shooting, W.A. Doherty of Pikeville, stated that several young men were standing in the court benches at the back of the room firing their pistols like Custer's cavalrymen at the Little Bighorn during the last stand. Deputy Sheriff George W. Edwards, who became the sheriff of Carroll County after Sheriff Webb's death, testified that as a deputy sheriff at the time, he had spoken with Floyd just over few weeks earlier and had learned of his indictment. He said Floyd said that Commonwealth Attorney Foster wouldn't give him a show, but that if he didn't, there would be a big hole left in the courthouse. The next witness was Sidney Toe, who largely corroborated the testimony of Sheriff Edwards. On a different occasion, he heard Floyd make the same statement, the big threat of putting the biggest hole in the court that any man ever had seen. On the other hand, Floyd and his relatives claimed Deputy Clerk Dexter Goad had fired the first shot, prompted by a long-standing vendetta he and Foster held against the Allen family. The defense attempted to show that Deputy Clerk Goad shot Elizabeth Ayers in his exchange of fire with the Allen clan, a charge Goad denied. Years later, an allegation surfaced that Deputy Clerk H.C. Questenberry had confessed on his deathbed starting the shooting. Two men swore on affidavit that, to that effect in 1967, for which each man was reported paid $25. Others considered the alleged affidavit to be hearsay, made years after the event transpired and considered it pretty much worthless. In his testimony at his murder trial, Floyd admitted that he fired at Deputy Clerk Questenberry and again twice more to uh, unknown persons as he left the courthouse. Deputy Clerk Dexter Goad admitted to firing the second shot at Floyd, striking him in the hip. 
He said he thought Floyd's flumbling with his sweater buttons was a prelude to him drawing a pistol. However, Goad denied firing the first shot of the onslaught. S.C. Gardner, a Hillsville undertaker who prepared the body of Sheriff Webb for burial, testified that the sheriff was shot no less than five times. One bullet entered the back and ranged upward, lodging directly under the collarbone. A second shot entered the back about four inches lower, while a third shot cut the sheriff across the chin. Another entered the body at the cap of the left hip and passed through the abdomen. The final shot went through the calf of the leg, and when his trousers were removed, a 32 caliber bullet fell out of the trouser leg. Attorney Howard C. Gilmer of Pulaski, Virginia, was uh, at the courthouse in an adjoining room. It was just outside of Judge Massey's courtroom when the shooting broke out. Mr. Gilmer testified that he heard two shots in quick succession after there were was a slight interval and then a great volley of firing. He also testified that he saw the crowd come out of the courthouse and recognized Floyd and Sidney Allen as the last two to leave, both of them following and firing as they backed out, apparently in response to fire coming from within the courthouse. That last two bullets were fired by Floyd and went into the steps of the one of the staircases in front of the courthouse and can be viewed today if you go by and look at it. Gilmer said he heard Floyd say two or three times that I shot, but I, but I managed to get the damn scoundrel. County Treasurer J.B. Marshall testified that when the shooting started, he turned to escape the courthouse, but getting down the steps and he leaned against the window of his office when two girls, Dora and Elizabeth Ayers, passed him. He testified that one of the girls pointed out some of the Allens leaving the courthouse. Then said the Allen came toward him, pointed a pistol at him, and fired. Marshall then related that said the Allen's bullet buried itself in the window six inches above his head. Marshall also testified that he had been standing near Sheriff Webb, but didn't see any pistol in the sheriff's hand. Another witness, Walter Petty, also testified that the first shots were fired from the court room's northeast corner where Claude Allen was standing. Petty also witnessed a pistol duel between Sidney Allen and Deputy Clerk Dexter Goad. Then there was Claude Allen's trial for the murder of Commonwealth's attorney Foster. Judge David W. Bowling was again the prosecution's star witness. Retired Judge Bowling confirmed his prior testimony when he saw that he saw Claude Allen fire the first shot at Judge Massey from the courtroom's northeast corner whereupon Claude advanced toward the court officers to where Commonwealth Attorney Foster was standing. For his part, Claude Allen admitted to firing his pistol while in the courtroom. Claude testified that he saw Sidney Allen firing just about the time he saw Deputy Clerk Goad fire. Victor Allen, whose pistol was used in the court shootout, said he saw Wesley Edwards from outside the courtroom firing a revolver through the courthouse window over spectators' heads just after the shooting began, and later saw Edwards run from the courthouse together with Sidney Allen. Victor Allen also asserted that Claude had taken Victor's handgun as the two left their hotel in Hillsville that morning. Sidney Edwards testified that he was not armed on the day of the shooting and that he didn't like to carry guns. He denied firing a gun during the courthouse shootings and stated that he did not see the who fired the first shot but 
thought it came from the vicinity of Deputy Clerk Goad's desk. Said that Edwards had scalded his foot some years earlier and was partially lame and limped out of the courthouse riding to his mother's house on horseback. Said that Allen denied that he shot Judge Massey or that he fired at Commonwealth's Attorney Foster, Sheriff Webb, or at Juror Fowler. Allen claimed that when the shooting began, he drew his own revolver and fired five times at Clerk Goad and Deputy Sheriff Gillespie because both men were firing at him. After those five shots, he dropped to his knees and reloaded his revolver. Said that Allen claimed that when he left the courthouse, Goad followed behind him, shooting him through the left arm with a bullet lodging in his left side. He stated that he fired back at Goad at the courthouse steps, but denied shooting at Treasurer J.B. Marshall. He also said that he went to Blankenship's livery stable after the incident where he met other family members and left Hillsville with Claude Allen, Wesley Edwards, and Sidna Edwards. They returned to their homes by traveling cross-country through the farm fields rather than public roads. Sidna Allen and his and Wesley Edwards then left Virginia, eventually reaching Des Moines, Iowa. On May 18, 1912, the jury found Floyd Allen guilty, and he wept freely as the verdict was read. Then on July 1912, after three separate trials, Claude Allen was convicted of first-degree murder for killing Commonwealth's attorney Foster and for second-degree murder of the killing of Judge Massey. For their roles in the shooting, Floyd and Claude were sentenced to death by electrocution. The Allen's death sentence was deeply unpopular with Allen supporters in the county, but many other residents were unsympathetic, surprised by the deaths of so many people over the Floyd Allen's refusal to serve a year in prison. Governor Mann, who himself had also received death threats in the same handwriting as the threats previously delivered by the trial judge, had to cut short his trip to Pennsylvania after learning his Lieutenant Governor James Allison had attempted to commute to Allen's sentences to life in prison. So it stirred up a big constitutional power struggle between the two men. Governor Mann refused a request to commute the death sentences to life, and Floyd Allen was electrocuted on March 28, 1913 at 1.20 p.m. Eleven minutes later, his son Claude followed his father to death in Virginia's electric chair. Well, what about the others? Well, Sidney Allen pleaded guilty and received a total of 35 years in prison for the voluntary manslaughter of Commonwealth's attorney Foster and for second-degree murder of Judge Massey. He also pleaded guilty to the second-degree murder of the shooting of Sheriff Webb and was sentenced to 18 concurrent years in prison. Wesley Edwards drew nine years for each count of murder for the slaying of Foster, Massey, and Webb for a total of 27 years in prison. Sidney Edwards pleaded guilty on August 12th, 1912 to second-degree murder and was sentenced to 15 years in prison. Friel Allen was tried in August of 1912 and after confessing to shooting prosecutor Foster was sentenced to 18 years in prison. Gilbert, uh, Governor Albert Lee Trinkle pardoned Friel Allen and Sidney Edwards in 1922. In April 1926, Governor Harry F. Byrd pardoned Sidney Allen and Wesley Edwards. Victor Allen and Barnett Allen were acquitted. Burden, Byrd Marion, a 
cousin and neighbor, had all charges against him dropped. Accounts different as to the reason for this. Was it a lack of evidence or because Marion became the state's witness and admitted his role in aiding the Allens? Nobody knows. Shortly after the Allen trials, law enforcement officers found a still on, in an old house on Bird and Marion's farm, and he was arrested for making illegal liquor. He was tried in federal court, found guilty, and sentenced to a year in federal prison in Moundsville, West Virginia. He began his sentence in August 1913 and died of pneumonia in prison in November that year. The Carroll County prosecutor placed liens on all property owned by Floyd Allen and Sidney Allen for the heirs of the victims. After three wrongful death lawsuits by the victims' estates and survivors, that property was confiscated and sold at auction, forcing Sidney Allen's wife and two small daughters to live in rented quarters and work menial jobs until Sidney's eventual pardon. Floyd Allen's son, Victor, bought his father's house so that his mother wouldn't have to move. However, unable to come to terms with the entirety of what had happened, in 1921, Victor moved his family to Tabernacle Township, New Jersey. Jack Allen lost his job as a constable as a result of the Hillsville shooting. Then, on March 17, 1916, he stopped for the night at a roadhouse near Mount Airy, North Carolina, where he encountered Will McGraw, a moonshine hauler. He managed to get into an argument with McGraw about the Hillsville shootout. During that confrontation, McGraw drew a gun and shot Allen twice in the chest, killing him on the spot. Jack Allen was buried near his home in Carroll County in the presence of thousands of mourners. He was buried alongside his brother, Floyd, and his nephew, Claude. I hope you've enjoyed our story today. If you have, please rate and review the podcast and don't forget to subscribe. Please go over to our Patreon page at patreon.com, search Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend, and give it a look. If you'd like to join, there are several levels to choose from, from Mountain Boomer all the way up to Appalachian Hillbilly. Or if you can, can, go over to the Facebook group, Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend Podcast, where we can discuss everything Appalachian or whatever else you'd like to talk about. I'll be back soon with another Appalachian Murder, Mystery, or Legend. I'll see you then. Take it easy.